Amen. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. O Almighty God, merciful Father, I am a poor miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, with which I have ever offended you, and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them. And I pray you to avert God this mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the Word, announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all of your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
God, you have poured into our hearts the true light of your incarnate word. Grant that this light may shine forth in our lives through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The reading of the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament reading for this, the second Sunday after Christmas, is from the book of 1 Kings, the third chapter. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. reading from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the first chapter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, 
according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the second chapter. Glory 
the child, Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the gospel of the Lord. confess together our holy Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and descended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who is all by the cross. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for this morning is from the Epistle Lesson of the Day, Ephesians chapter 1, these verses in particular, verses 4 through 6. For he, God, chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely bestowed upon us in the one he loves. This is our text, dear friends, in Christ. Clifford Elliott tells us about a large group of Vietnam vets who years ago gathered together in New York City to commemorate and to memorialize the lives of a number of friends that they had lost in the Vietnam conflict in the battle. Many of them, having returned from that conflict, had not been able to resolve in their own minds many of the horrific things that they had seen. And then when they returned home and they received the negative welcome that they did, they had even more problems with that, and so they had gathered together to deal also with these things. And to deal with those, they had invited a Vietnamese refugee to their meeting to address them in order that they might be able to deal with some of these residual effects of the war and the conflict. And this is a story that this refugee told that was quite fitting. During the war, a young Vietnamese woman was killed. She left behind her husband and a young son. And the husband, needing to provide for himself and for the little boy, he said, traveled far and wide looking for all sorts of odd jobs, and often he'd leave the child with neighbors. And then after one long trip looking for work, the man returned to find the village demolished. The home in which he had left his son with neighbors was there demolished. And immediately he began searching through the rubble, hoping that he wouldn't find what indeed he did find, namely a number of small little bones that were there. Convinced that these were the bones of his son, he wrapped them in cloth, he carried them with him, with him wherever he went from that time forth. Many years passed, and then one night the old man heard knocking on his door. Who's out there, he cried. And the reply came, it's your son. It's your son, let me in, father, I've spent years trying to find you. And the old man yelled back, you're a fake. And you're a cruel man. My son is dead. I have his bones right here in bed with me. Go away. Leave me alone. And he refused to open the door. The knocking continued for a while. The pleading of the son continued for a while. And then finally it stopped. The young man gave up and he left. And the old man grieved for the rest of his life. And all because he was insistent on holding on to those old bones of the past from which his living son could have set him free. There's a lesson in that for us all, dear friends, because this is the first of the new year. A great day for letting go of those old bones of the past, those old bones from which Christ has set us free, those old bones that would hold us back and hold us down and make our lives as miserable as indeed that man's life must have been because he insisted on holding on to old bones as well. And there are many old bones of the past to which we would 
also hold wrongly that we shouldn't hold to, and they're as varied as the bones of our body, but let me name just a few of them that cause us and others the most grief because we insist on keeping them so close to us from day to day as we move throughout time on this earth. There is, for example, the, the bone of resentment and how many people weary their lives and burden their lives and trouble the lives of others because of the bone of resentment and old resentments that they carry along with them. Perhaps someone here today has that bone of resentment over something that was done to them previously, a spouse or a friend or an acquaintance did something or said something, perhaps during this past year or perhaps even years ago, that still hurt you. It cuts you to the quick when it was said or when it was done and it still hurts today as you think about it and perhaps they never apologized for what they did and the resentment set in and the wound still festers or perhaps they did indeed apologize for what they did and beg your forgiveness for what they did but you felt that the wound inflicted was too deep for mere words to be able to heal so you still carry those old bones of resentment around with you. It's sin. It's nothing short of that to do that, to let that dominate our lives. Today's the day to set those old bones aside and behind. It's the day to lay them at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we're told in the epistle lesson for today that we would do, as we're reminded in the hymn that we just sang that we should do, is lay them at the feet of Christ, who alone can deal with our sins of the past, with those old bones that otherwise would, would wear us down, to take our sins and to put them there at the foot of the incarnate Son of God, who came that he might shed his blood, be the sacrifice for our sins, to bury those old bones and those old sins forever. If the new year is truly to be new, if it's truly to be a new year for you, then lay those old bones of those old sinful resentments where alone they need to be laid, and that's at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ, who alone can do with them what needs to be done. And there are so many other old bones, not just the old bones of resentment that people carry around with them far too long, but there's also the, the old bone of bitterness and suspicion that we might carry toward others that breeds mistrust in us then, which in turn leads to accusations and fault-finding, whether it's in marriages or in relationships of friends and family members or others, or even within the church festering there all the time, doing its work to divide us, ultimately to conquer fractures that fraternal spirit that should exist between the children of God. Let all bitterness and all wrath and all anger, Scripture says, and that talk that injures the reputations of others be put away from you, along with every desire to hurt others. Rather be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And that's what our Lord would have us do. Put that old bone of bitterness and anger and resentment behind and move on. But you know, of all the old bones, and you could speak of many because there are indeed so many that we could address, of all the old bones that we carry around with us in the course of, of a year, few are more destructive than the old bones of guilt. Guilt over past sins that have been forgiven. That happens with people too. Some of the sins committed that have been forgiven of such a public nature perhaps that whenever we're around other people we're so, we feel so small because we're so convinced that all they can see as they look at us is that public sin that we committed in the past 
And that's all they see when they see us. Not really believing that that sin is forgiven. Some of those sins perhaps being of a private nature. We fear others finding out about them and we foolishly think that surely God who knows all is so displeased with us that we're better off keeping at a distance from God than letting him draw too close to us. What foolishness, residual guilt will do within people, even in the people of God, as they let it be that dominant character in their lives and within them. It reminds me of the famous country singer who lived so long with guilt that that guilt nearly destroyed him over sins that he had committed. He recalls that even in his boyhood days, guilt troubled him. He grew up in a church of a different theological persuasion than ours. that rightly spoke of sin and spoke of sin often, condemned sin, rightly so. But so often it said the remedy to sin was what you would do about it rather than what Christ Jesus has already done about it. So consequently, he lived in this guilt trying to figure out what can I do about the sin that I've committed. I know it's sin, but what can I do? Because that's what he was being taught to do. What do I have to do to get over it? He says, I was one of those kids who kept on then going down front whenever the preacher called for convents at the end of each, or converts at the end of each sermon. I'd see somebody next to me start to the front, and well, then I'd go down again. I joined the church at least 30 times when I was a kid, he said. Every time I'd do something bad, I'd go, quote, join the church again. Each time I went to the front and rededicated my life, I wanted to leave my sins and walk away clean, but I felt that I shouldn't get off so easily. Residual guilt, wrongly thinking that you can do something about the sins that you commit, rather than simply laying those sins at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ who alone has done something already about the sins, all of them, that we've committed. Guilt is like that, though. It's like old bones that we would carry around with us. We can be forgiven by God. We can be assured of that forgiveness by God, repeatedly declared to us by God's messengers in God's church, and still we question whether or not we've been forgiven because we don't trust that objective word of God that's spoken to us and we look for the subjective feelings inside us instead. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, St. Paul says. No condemnation for you. None. No matter what your sin has been in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. Are you in Christ? Don't look inside of yourself for the answer to that question. You'll be deceived if you do. You look outside of yourself. You look at the objective word of God. And that word of God says this, as it does in our text for today. He, God, chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and to be blameless in his sight. He's made that decision objectively outside of you and even before you. In love, Paul says, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ according to the kind intention of his holy will. And elsewhere, Paul writes, for you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Are you in Christ? Indeed you are. You are because God has made it to be so. You are because God has said it is so. Begin this new year by celebrating then your identity as a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ 
And it'll make an amazing difference at how you confront the different challenges and obstacles that will undoubtedly come before you in the year yet to come. You have been chosen by God, and you approach each situation in life with that confidence that you are his and he is yours. You've been cleansed by the work of Jesus Christ in the cross, and so that you can confidently approach the future in Christ. Don't go cowering. Don't go limping and retreating into some conventicle or in, onto some mountaintop where you can be away from the problems of the world in which you would. Don't, don't find a dugout for yourself someplace that you might hide in, keeping out of the the game and out of the gridiron of life. And indeed, God has placed us on that gridiron for a purpose. To be sure, when we're out on that gridiron of life in which he's placed us, we get bumped around, we get bruised a bit, we get flattened a number of times. But we're always God's bumped around people and God's flattened people, and he's the same one who will raise us up again in Christ, enabled by his Holy Spirit to get up off our bellies and off our backs to do what he's called us to do as we push forward into the future, forgetting those things that lie behind us and pressing on to that high calling that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that what St. Paul says? This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to that which lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Many of us will be watching the NFL, NFL playoff games in the days to come. Super Bowl Sunday isn't too far off. Some of you who are old enough will remember one of the great quarterbacks of the past, Fran Tarkenton, Minnesota Viking, by the way. One of the most successful quarterbacks in the NFL. Hall of Famer. What you probably don't know, though, about scrambling Fran Tarkenton, as he was called, because he would scramble all over the place when he'd get the ball, was known for that. Perhaps what you don't know about him is how Tarkenton first moved from being a third-string quarterback at the University of Georgia team to starting quarterback in the Minnesota Vikings. The University of Georgia was playing the University of Texas, and Tarkenton, being the third-string quarterback, had very little chance to see any action at all in the game. Frankly, no one predicted that he'd even get off the bench for the game, third-string quarterback that he was. And in that particular game, Georgia was having a difficult time moving the ball down the field. In fact, it was late in the third quarter. They hadn't had a single first down. And now they were backed up near their, their own end zone. It was third down. Suddenly, the young third-string quarterback started out onto the field. No one told him to go into the game. But no one tried to stop him either. The third, first string quarterback saw Tarkenton come on the field, assumed that the coach had decided to replace him, and so he obediently trotted off the field, and Tarkenton took charge, and he led the team down the field for a touchdown. And of course, from that point on, the rest is history for Tarkenton. He was then and there started on one of the most remarkable careers that the sports world and football had seen. Can you imagine a player having the gall, the nerve, to step out on the field under losing circumstances like that? That's confidence, to be sure. Confidence based on a sense of identity that he had, what he could do, but also a sense of destiny that he felt for himself. Confidence that wasn't going to 
let the old bones of whatever past failures he had had hold him back from doing what he really believed that he could do. But you know the difference between Tarkenton as a football player and you and me as Christians is that he had a mere subjective internal sense of destiny. He had an inner feeling that compelled him to bravely or foolishly do what he did. He acted on a hunch and for him he was fortunate that the hunch turned out to be all right. Could have gone the other way just as easily. We don't base our faith like Tarkenton did. We don't base our faith upon hunches. We don't base our faith and our actions for the future upon subjective hunches of what might be. Our confidence for the future is not based on some inner subjective feeling, something within us. It's anchored squarely on the objective word of God that we read, that sits right here before us, that's outside of us and tells us who we are, that we have indeed, as we heard in today's text, been chosen by God, that we've been predestined by God, that we've been adopted by God to be his sons and his daughters through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. God's grace, and that alone, has made us what we are. As St. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's what it is, and his grace is not going to fail to see us through this life unto life eternal, where we'll receive all that he has called us to receive, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, as St. Paul tells us. In Christ, and in Christ crucified is our identity, in Christ, and in Christ crucified is our destiny. And that's all we really need to know as we enter into this new year. That's a confidence that approaches this new year in grace. It's time to leave those old bones of our past sins and our guilt behind us so they won't prevent us from seeing every day in this new year as a day indeed that is to be lived to God's glory. It's time to move into this new year knowing that nothing in it, as God promises us in scripture, nothing in it can separate us from the love of God, from being the sons and the daughters of the Father that we are, because he has chosen us, he's predestined us, he has saved us to be his own. 2009 holds nothing more, nothing less for you than God will allow to come into it. That is our confidence. That is our certainty. Because of him, because of Christ who has loved us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
promised grace to his people and his attentive ear to their requests, we pray for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Recalling that God the Father sent his Son into our flesh and that through Christ Jesus we have redemption through his blood, we ask that God our Father, through his Holy Spirit, would lead us to rejoice in the inheritance of eternal glory that is ours as baptized and adopted sons of God. And we pray that each of us by his spirit would take heart in God's continuing grace into this new year. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For God's word and his sacrament by which he blesses us here in this place with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We give him thanks. And we pray that God would continue to sustain us in his and sustain his church by these means until the day of his coming. Let us pray to the Lord. That God would remember all parents as they raise the children he's placed in their care. That he would give them wisdom to instruct their children in godliness and surround them with love. That God would patiently endure with all parents, forgiving all their insufficiencies. And that he'd grant parents patience to endure and lovingly address imperfections of their children. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That the Lord of all power and might would remember all those entrusted with positions of public service and protect them against corruption and enable them faithfully to discharge their duties for the common good, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, that by his Holy Spirit and through his biblical word, the Lord of wisdom and knowledge would open the door of understanding to all who are instructed in the faith, that they might learn to trust and rely on his promises, to discern that which is right, and to rejoice in his constant love. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray for our fellow Christians of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of the Sudan, as with them we mourn the death of their bishop and steadfast confessor of the faith, Pastor Andrew Elisa. We thank God for the faithful confession of this man and ask our Lord to comfort all who grieve by bringing to our minds the eternal glory that he's prepared for us in Christ Jesus. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who at this time of year recall the life and love shared with dear ones gone before, that our compassionate God would be their stay. And we pray that the Lord of life would uphold those who are infirmed or ill in health, including Robert Latham and including all other homebound members of our congregation. We ask that God would be with those who are preparing for surgery that he might surround them with his mercy, defend them against every danger to soul and body, and keep them steadfast in the true faith throughout these days of difficulty and throughout all of their days. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We thank God, our Lord Jesus Christ, today for the precious gift of his body and his blood given under the bread and wine of the Holy Supper. And we ask him to prepare hearts to receive it in faith, trusting it to be his body and blood, as he said, trusting it to forgive our sins, as he said, and knowing it to confess to all our unity and doctrine, that it may be received in the life-giving richness he so intended for us. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Into your hands, Lord, we commend now all for whom we pray, confident in your mercy. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit.
one God, now and forever. Amen. Love of Lord be with you. salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you holy lord almighty father everlasting god through jesus christ our lord for in the mystery of the word made flesh you have given us a new revelation of your glory that seeing you in the person of your son we may know and love those things that are not seen therefore with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body which is given for you this do in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup after supper and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink of it all of you this cup is the new testament in my blood which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
God, our Heavenly Father, you have given us a foretaste of the feast to come in the Holy Supper of your Son's body and blood. Keep us firm in the true faith throughout our days of pilgrimage, that on the day of his coming we may, together with all your saints, celebrate the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. Countenance upon you and give you peace.